So I'm Jill Smith. Um, I am a quality improvement, patient safety and human factors professional um, and the managing director of uh, Kaizen Kata. Um, I have 30 years experience as a healthcare professional um, and I now work globally with healthcare organisations in the pursuit of quality improvement, patient safety at kind of organisational and system levels. I certainly am not an environmental expert, I think I need to say that right off, but um, my interest in waste in healthcare was really first ignited by my work with the Health Improvement Alliance Europe. That's a network which is facilitated by IHI, um, through which healthcare organisations across Europe come together. And we did so in the pursuit of a model to reduce waste and add value in healthcare. I suppose my own personal interest then in this work has expanded over the last five years beyond the benefits of reducing waste in healthcare, but towards the wider ambition of how the pursuit of such an approach can impact positively on the challenge of environmental waste more generally. Um, and I am absolutely delighted that myself, um, my colleague that's with me today and um, a few others um, are running a session um, at the International Forum um, around this topic. And we can't wait to engage more people on this. Thank you for inviting me to talk today. I'm like Jill, also a healthcare professional and I've spent most of my career in the NHS in the UK. And now I'm working as faculty for IHI, supporting leadership teams on their quality journeys, as well as doing some work with the, the Alliance across Europe. So I've got a really particular passion for the impact of healthcare on the environment and removing waste from systems. So like Jill, I'm not an expert on this subject, but I'm really interested in how quality improvement can help us reduce the impact of health and care on the planet, as well as improving population health. And I guess it's really on everyone's radar now, isn't it? What's happened in the last few years, and you know, with the COP26 event very recently, it's very hard to be on social media or watching the news to not be aware of the personal impact, the community impact, the international impact we're having on the planet. But I guess a lot of people aren't so familiar with the healthcare impact. Um, can you summarise for us, first of all, Jill, what has happened historically and what is continuing to happen now in terms of the healthcare impact on the environment? Yes, uh, sure, Andre. So, I suppose in my own introduction there, I referenced the work of the Health Improvement Alliance Europe. And um, I think for me, actually, that was my first deep dive into what waste and healthcare um, actually meant, or indeed what potential existed to reduce waste and healthcare and reutilize those wasteful resources elsewhere. Um, I think what I did find when I started that work was that uh, through engagement with frontline staff, the term waste was a little alien to a lot of people, and particularly when you talk about waste and healthcare, quite unfamiliar to many, um, a little uncomfortable perhaps, because somehow that term seems to undermine our purity of purpose in healthcare, which is about making services safer and better for patients. So I think, you know, really um, to engage people in this language is so very important, um, and how we reduce waste and the impact of waste in healthcare um, and that what that has on our environment. So really, I think we need more discussions like this. We need to make the language and the topic much more accessible. My own personal experience from engaging with frontline healthcare staff on this topic is that when you do that, um, it leads to engagement and hopefully a bit of a swell of a movement towards everyone getting involved and reducing the impact um, that healthcare waste has. 
Do we know the numbers? I'm interested, you know, when you when you look at kind of environmental films and climate crisis kind of films, you get lots of numbers about the impact of, you know, coal power stations or the airline industry or the entertainment industry. Yeah, Elaine, do you want to give us a sense of what the healthcare impact is? Yeah, it's it's seems not significant because it's about 4% of the emissions worldwide is in healthcare. So it doesn't feel, people might say 4% doesn't seem very much, but actually if healthcare was a country, we'd be the fourth biggest emitter in the world. So we would be only behind the US, Russia and China as the biggest emitter. So that gives you a bit of a scale for it across the world, I think. I guess the follow-up to that is thinking about targets. COP26 has been really clear that the number one target is to secure global net zero by mid-century and keep 1.5 degrees within reach. What part do you think healthcare can play in that, in achieving that target? And are you feeling optimistic that we can do it? There's no question healthcare definitely has a part to play, but we need to take some action now. And that really is our message. Many countries across Europe and North America have had plans to deliver net zero, as they describe it, across healthcare delivery. For example, in NHS England, they have an ambitious target to get to net zero by 2040. But, but we also need to look at things that are made for use and consumption, which are not in the direct control of healthcare. It's things that are made for us to use. So procurement and manufacturing of some of these items are really important. So the COP target to keep below 1.5 degrees is a vital target for sure, but the clock's ticking. And although I'm optimistic, we'll come together to take really positive action. Um, Actually, that's exactly why Jill and I feel so passionate about raising the profile. So, So maybe if I could just explain some of the things that are happening, Andre, that might help to give some context to it. Because if I'm honest, I, as you suggested in your introduction, knew about this. Of course, everybody knows about it. But honestly, I thought there were really clever people doing it because we were busy getting on with delivering healthcare. And I I, I didn't quite get that healthcare was part of the problem. And it's only when really people started pointing it out to me and I started really having the time to think deeply about it, I realised that even some things are obvious. So, for example, we've got lots of buildings and they're open 24-7, 365 days a year. So, And lots of them are quite old, so they leak out energy. So just things like our building, the fact that we use lots of water every day, a free resource to us. So we don't really think of the impact of that. And then we we actually have fantastic improvements in technology that allows us to do things better for our patients, like the changes in anaesthetic gases and inhalers. But we haven't noticed that some of those have a detrimental impact and cause greenhouse gases. Pharmaceuticals that we prescribe and use and take maybe ourselves um, actually get have the benefit to the patient but get excreted into our water system and even the manufacturing of those can cause some contamination in effluents or local gases where they're being made in other countries so there's lots of things going on I think we don't think about medical devices that use lots of plastics which are detrimental to health but 
But Jill's point is really important. We create lots of waste in healthcare. We've we've actually developed a single use approach, which is great for infection control, but actually it creates a lot of waste. And we now need to maybe go back and rethink that and talk a little bit about how we create this waste, what we do with this waste. Even the fact that we have patients traveling and staff traveling has an impact on the environment. So so I think you can hear, Andre, it's looking at the same issues that we have that maybe we're cited on, but looking at them intentionally through an environmental lens. So what would you say to either individual health workers who want to change and become more environmentally aware? In the same way that, you know, from home, we're thinking about recycling or turning off taps or lights or, you know, some of the personal things we can do, but also to managers of commissioners of healthcare systems and services who want to have an impact. What would the advice be? Waste means different things to different people. So um, often things which we as healthcare professionals may not consider as waste can feel wasteful to patients. Um, and waste comes in many forms. And I think Elaine's even demonstrated that by some of the examples she's given. So it's really important, actually, to, to look at waste through the eyes of, of different people. So to look at it through the eyes of patients, to look at it through the eyes of staff and to look at it through the eyes of a, a corporate body or an organisation. Um, Elaine touched on medicines there. So let's take that as, as maybe an example, because everybody can play a part in that. So suboptimal, suboptimal use of medicines contributes to avoidable hospital admissions as well as waste okay that's something that we know and have long known but when we change our practice to involve pharmacists more actively in that process of medicines optimization the data that we have illustrates that medicines are more appropriately prescribed so therefore in that context we avoid the environmental wastage associated with the manufacture of those medicines the packaging used not to mention the very positive impact that we um, can have on the quality of life for the patients, as well as we know it may reduce length of stay. Um, and uh, those valuable resources then can be redirected elsewhere. I think the second point is that I suppose never have we maybe been more innovative or creative because the COVID-19 era has presented us very clearly with that challenge. And it's led us to think about things differently. Um, and so the change, some of the changes that we've actually made to how we deliver services have surfaced opportunities for waste in healthcare that we never knew before. And we, we've used this term a little bit, ex novate to innovate, which kind of means stop doing some things so that you can actually concentrate on doing more value-added tasks. So Elaine touched on the kind of working um, remotely aspect. So for example, prior to the pandemic, Working remotely or providing services remotely to service users was really the exception um, in healthcare. But what COVID demonstrated to us was the very positive impact that that remote working could actually have in our environment. You know, one of our trusts in Northern Ireland alone, we find that even a very modest amount of remote working for staff um, had the potential to uh, avoid around 700,000 CO2 emissions. That's 29,000 bags to landfill. So you know, I think actually when you can quantify it in those sort of numbers and, and visuals that people can see, we all realise that we can play a part and we have a, a contribution that we can bring to this important movement. So there are great examples and, and I'll maybe try and give you some of those, but I guess there are three areas that 
people can look at in their day-to-day work. Um, There are alternatives to the current practice, and there's some examples of that. There there are some just simple ways to reduce the amount of of stuff that we use. So actually reducing waste, as Jill was describing, or using new technologies and approaches. Those, if you like, those are the three sort of ways to go about this. And there are some great examples of people already um, doing some of this. And and if it would be helpful, Andrew, happy to just go through a few examples of those. So, So maybe one of the most... Um, familiar one, although I have to say it wasn't familiar to me because I wasn't an anaesthetist, was the impact of anaesthetic gases. There's a great drive from anaesthetists now, and they've done some fantastic work in moving from desflurane to gases that are less toxic on on the environment. Um, Inhalers is another area. Again, because it wasn't my specialist area, I had no idea that some of the inhalers that we were regularly prescribing were were more impactful on the environment than others. So just raising that awareness. And even today, when I talk to colleagues, they're not necessarily aware. So, so it's about spreading the knowledge, spreading the understanding and allowing people to make changes that, that don't impact on, on patient care. There's a great example um, about drugs where in Stockholm from 2001, there's been a what they've described as a wise list. It's, a, a if you like, a green list of pharmaceuticals, which has less in, impact on the environment with the same efficacy. So people can choose a different drug. And that's really interesting. We're looking at the impact of that, whether that's possible to, to roll out wider. Pretty simple things. Um, Great Ormond Street has looked at a reduction in the the use of dr- gloves for procedures. So we we routinely pick up gloves, but do we need to do that all of the time? So just asking some of those questions is helpful. Huge amounts of PPE and a group working uh, from Italy with Healthcare Without Harm is looking at reusable and washable PPE. So looking at textiles and whether you can actually reuse these materials not something feels a bit counterintuitive at the moment but people are starting to get interested in that and see if there are ways to do that safely I have colleagues in Denmark that are looking at the amount of plastics that are in their theatre packs so that they can split them out and make them easier for them to recycle. They may still need to use them, but they're now finding ways, instead of just putting them to landfill or, or clinical waste, that they can recycle them. And I have to take my hat off to Kaiser Permanente in, in North America, who who since 2012 have managed to find and use alternatives to PVCs and DHPs in all of their medical devices. Now, again, I didn't know anything about these plasticizers, but they have an impact on on our health. And in France now, the use of these materials are are banned for use in neonates and paediatrics. So there are lots of obvious things. Um, There are some practical things about electric fleets of cars and solar panels on the roofs of buildings. Some places are using grey waters for cooling in some systems. And and finally, um, I've seen an exciting opportunity um, in Newcastle hospitals in the UK where they've been capturing nitric oxide, a a very toxic gas, to prevent leakage into the environment. So so people are doing things, but they're not necessarily joining them up, Andre. And one of the 
privileges we have is being able to share some of these experiences with colleagues, with other organisations and, and see if there's a way that we can spread it faster. Is there an equivalent to what's happening on the high street? I'm just thinking, I live in Bristol and just around the corner from me, there's a whole food shop that's just opened. So for the first time, I can actually start buying you know cereal and rice and fabric conditioner and take my containers along and stop buying all those horrible plastic containers that's available to me now it's not available to everyone in our country but the reason it's there is consumer demand there's enough people who live in my area here in bristol who have said we want this and we will use it um is that is there an equivalent in healthcare where it's either patient demand or clinician demand where's the power that's actually leveraging and getting the companies to start being more aware of the impact? Right. Well, that's that's a great question. And I guess I'd use that example of Kaiser Permanente. How, they have huge reach as an organisation. And we have huge reach, say, for example, in the NHS in, in England or in Scotland, to, to actually change what we buy. And if we were to drive that as big purchasers, then the manufacturing would have to change at the moment because we buy in small groups and we buy small things then the manufacturers offer us what they is cheap and easy for them to make now what we need to do and and you described it as as shopper power I'm saying that as clinicians as professionals as managers within health and care we should be demanding that actually manufacturers and providers give us alternatives to what they're giving us at the moment and the more that that happens the the cheaper it will become and the easier it will be for us to be able to use that. There is something here about patient power as well, because you don't know what you don't know. So I think at the moment, many of our patients may not be aware of lots of the examples which Elaine has just cited there and may sometimes even question some of our decisions around things, perhaps like medicines regimes. And they think if if they're not getting a medicine, that's because we want to save money. And actually, you know, there are bigger reasons why that might be the case. So apart from the strategy which Elaine has described, which I think is absolutely the direction of travel that we should be taking, I do think there's something about educating our patients because let's face it, until the public really became very ignited about environment, uh, the environment and climate change, you know, people power wasn't there. So you have to create that power and to create that power, you have to provide the information. Um, And I think there is a responsibility on us um, as healthcare providers to actually provide that information and educate our patients. Just building on that, Jill, I'd forgotten to mention and I should have that Of course, I'm talking about waste in pharmaceuticals, but you're exactly right. Do we need to use those drugs at all? So some fantastic initiatives on on green prescribing, as it's described now, where actually people are are prescribing exercise or having a fantastic walk or, you know, doing something different. So they don't even need to have the drugs in the first place. So I think we need to look as we would as improvers upstream and downstream about the impact and see if there are altogether alternatives to what we've been doing. I wonder where the pushback is, because obviously there's always pushback in this field, isn't there? Whether it's completely denying that it exists as a problem in the first place or individual, you know, I don't want to change. I don't want to turn the tap off. I want to have a nice deep bath every night. Jill, what's your sense of the argument within healthcare? Because I guess there's an argument that if we do this, we're compromising the safety and effectiveness of our healthcare system. 
Yeah, and ironically, actually, I think it's quite the opposite argument, uh, Andre. Um, I think, you know, we've already spoken about how freeing up waste in healthcare allows us to redirect those much needed associated resources elsewhere, and also ultimately the benefit to the patient. I mean, if I was a patient, I would much rather be confident, for example, that my medicines regime was optimized and that I wasn't taking medicines that I didn't require that might have negative side effects, perhaps resulting in me winding up in ED or worse, being admitted to hospital. Um, And then when you start to think about that, you start to think about all the things that Elaine's talked around, the manufacture of those medicines and the waste that 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 creates. I think also if you if you look at some of the statistics globally, so um, you know the startling revelation that OECD and that's the Organisation for Economic Cooperation and Development have made that one fifth of our health expenditure makes little contribution to good health outcomes. That can't be any stronger as a call to action for us. Um, you know, across member countries in OCD, there's a wealth of data that demonstrates that many of our spending and activities in health are are not a good use of resources and actually at worst can be harmful and um, because in many ways we you know we over um we overuse some of the interventions available to us whether that's through medicines or whether it's through diagnostics and that brings with it this whole kind of domino effect um i think of waste so truthfully i think if you combine all that powerful data with the global challenge that we all face in terms of you know the financial constraints around healthcare aging population, chronic disease, you know, more and faster isn't the answer anymore. We need a new approach. And and this, I think, is presenting us with a really good opportunity for a new approach. Elaine, I'm going to give you the responsibility to head up a nation state that we're going to start. (laughs) And we're going to set up a new health and care system on this, this huge island with tens of thousands of people. What would the key components be of a sustainable system? Wow, that's a big question, Andre, then. Um, I mean, I think that now in healthcare, we we need to think of this as part of rather than instead of the rest of the way we deliver healthcare. So I think it has to be part of everything we do. So that would be my first element, I think, including what we would call a sustainability as one of the, as frankly, an equal domain of quality alongside safe, timely and effective care. Sustainability needs to be one of those. And there's some great work done by Francis Mortar and colleagues at the Centre for Sustainable Healthcare that, that describe this. So everything that we need to do now and engagement with care providers must be considering the impact on the environment and must become part of our decision making so I think it's intentional I think we have to put that at the front of every decision maker's mind and and of course there'll be a political driver towards this so we we will have targets to deliver and and I understand the importance of that but but all of our concern around the environment to drive what we purchase consider how things then as a result are manufactured and, and delivered to us, that should be a part of a sustainable health and, and care system. And then we need to think really carefully about what we really need to use, how how best we use them with the minimal impact on the environment whilst maintaining maximum impact for our patients. And although that sounds obvious, 
we don't necessarily think that people are really busy and they have to use what's in front of them so it will be up to us to try and give them the the tools the environment and the encouragement to make the right choices and make it easy for people to do the right thing which we don't always do at the moment so so for me this is actually that the the true heart of quality improvement and that I guess is why Jill and I have crossed over into looking at this issue with a, a an improver's lens we now want everyone to look at what we do and how we do it also through an environmental lens that that would be every single piece of work that we do to improve we should look at that and if we were to give the same care to the planet that we do to our patients I'd say we wouldn't go far wrong. So let's move on and talk a bit about the conference more broadly. Um, Jill, this is the first face-to-face quality forum that we've had in Europe for three years. Obviously, there's loads of positives about getting back together and doing this kind of face-to-face interaction, and people are desperate to do that. But do you think that's important, first of all? And also bearing in mind the impact that that has on the environment, you know, 3,000 people flying to Gothenburg for a week. Do you think that is sustainable, that kind of conference? Yeah, and that's a great question because it, it kind of, um, you know, almost you feel like having that conference is almost a conflict for all the other things that we've just talked about if we do it in person. I mean, I think certainly COVID has forced us all to embrace virtual working and with that, you know, those virtual global connections. And many of us will have taken part in some really successful virtual conferences since the pandemic began. And that's really been very important, particularly as an opportunity to share global learning from COVID-19 and best practice on how we would adapt our services to meet the challenge. However, I think we can all agree, and this is not just about healthcare, that we all need human connection. Um, it's such a vital part to all of our health and well-being. And certainly making connections and sustaining those networks across the globe is much easier when you do have some opportunities to to meet face to face i'd say also i think it's very difficult to give yourself over completely to an event like quality 2020 to when it's virtual and because as we sit at home or if we're in our offices and we're connecting online we usually find ourselves multitasking you know we're responding to emails we're jumping in and out of virtual meetings my own experience is that i gain so much more from being there personally but also I feel like I can bring an awful lot more back to the people that I work with when I have some opportunities for face-to-face connections. I suppose all that said, will we ever return to a model where it's almost always in person for events such as the forum? I don't think so. Um, I think we have a deepening understanding of the environmental contribution we can make by sometimes connecting virtually as opposed to in person. I think also, in addition, virtual connections do allow those who can't travel um, to be able to participate, and that that is a great thing. So in summary, I guess what I think we are going to see is an emergence of more of a hybrid model for such events like the Forum, one which embraces the best of both worlds, so connecting in person and also virtually. I've always encouraged and, and supported teams to to come to the IHI conferences and and I've had such fantastic feedback I've actually had members of 
the team say to me it's been the experience has been life changing for them and that's really powerful so so I absolutely endorse what you're saying that that being immersed in it learning from others which is the fantastic opportunity to get both the formal presentations but the informal networking um just can't be replicated virtually so so I think there's absolutely a place for it but but even in coming together there are things that we can do you know we can ask people to not have plastics not use lanyards I've already been in contact with the organizers of of the conference and saying can we think about a meat-free Monday are there other things that we could possibly do and of course in Sweden they're very up for that straight away so so I think there are things we can do but I think virtual will always need to be an option for for so thinking a bit more broadly about the pandemic and the impact that that's had um what do you think the role for quality improvement is in the future i think um the learning which certainly i've gathered from healthcare organizations in response to COVID 19 has really demonstrated how the application of quality improvement approaches helped them to respond to the pandemic in a very agile way. Um, certainly those with exposure to quality improvement um, faced into the pandemic in a way in which they were able to deploy those skills quite quickly to test kind of new and innovative approaches, apply that kind of adaptive thinking mindset to problems that, you know, none of us had ever faced before. Um, I also find certainly that those who maybe had not previously been exposed to the application of improvement science, really embrace the approach itself. Uh, and, you know, without knowingly doing it, they started with a theory of change, they developed and tested ideas, and then they come up with a reliable solution. And that is, you know, that is at the heart of our improvement science approach. So I think that quality improvement approaches can also really serve us well now as we deal with some of the most wicked issues which have become much more visible as a result of COVID-19. I suppose, you know, for me, what comes to mind here is, is specifically about equity. Um, there's already some great work and interesting work that's taking place using improvement science approaches to improve population health and address the issues wow. of inequity. So my thinking certainly is that improvement science is, is going to be one of the tools that we will look increasingly to um, as we continue to innovate um, in the face of adversity um, in this COVID era uh, and beyond. Quality improvement is now absolutely recognised as a science um, and we need to apply our scientific minds to the environmental problem that, that unfortunately we've created in healthcare. So it's a system that uses too much, too many drugs, even changing the bed linen every day. We need to think differently because through these actions we now are beginning to realize that we impact on our environment or we have an impact on the climate in other parts of the world that maybe we don't quite see so part of our workshop and part of the sharing that we want to do is is to make people aware of the impact but also and importantly, make them aware that there's something they can do about it, that there's something we can all do. So bringing together like-minded people at a conference like this will allow us to, to continue to learn from each other and share ideas, but, but help turn those into a really positive impact. There's absolutely lots that we can do and loads that I've described that 
people are doing already. So so let's learn from the best and do our bit for the planet, because as others have said, and I'm happy to repeat, there is no planet B. Mm-hmm.